Reactive Attachment Disorder Podcast for Parents and Therapists. Real talk, real time, real issues with Tracy and Jen. Hi, I'm Tracy Turner-Kaiser with Full Circle Family Counseling. I have worked with reactive attachment disorder children and their families for over 25 years. Jen Stadler here is a mother with six children and is an amazing woman who is willing to help me out to give voice to what it's like to live and work with a child with reactive attachment disorder. Together, we are interested in educating, equipping, and encouraging and empowering you as a parent with a child with reactive attachment disorder, or if you're a therapist that discovers that you have a child in your office that is not responding well to traditional therapy. Welcome, and we look forward to your feedback. Attachment Disorder Podcast for parents and therapists, real talk, real time, real issues. Today, we're going to be talking about the attachment cycle and what is developmental trauma and how reactive attachment disorder affects that cycle. Any thoughts, Jen? No. Not okay. No, I was just bringing the conversation in. Yeah. <laughs> so I think this is where we get to just kind of talk a little bit together back and forth about what... Um, what developmental trauma is and and uh and it's you know it's something that Vanderbilt talks about a lot uh it's sort of it, it is when a child is conceived and born and born into a trauma environment that and that's all they know right so there's like developmental trauma is basically starting from conception through utero through birth through the first three years if not seven years of their life where the environment is just really chaotic and neglectful and full of um uh, a lot of survival skills. Uh, and then that trauma environment, as we would know it, as you and I would know that trauma environment, it kind of becomes their norm. So the child, for the child, that's the, their normal state of being. Um, so, um, and then what happens is they move into their central nervous system and their whole neurological, physiological makeup gets wired as if that is the norm. And then they don't understand what a relationship is or how to be in that relationship. Oh, right. And I think that's kind I like of, to think of that as the red brain, green brain. Yeah, um, I like that concept. Yeah, so like the green brain, you know, the baby cries, the needs right. met. The baby mm-hmm. cries, the mama feeds the baby. Yeah. Um, the baby cries, mama changes the diaper. Yeah. Baby cries, mommy swaddles and looks into their eyes. Um, and this is where I've seen with our, some of, you know, the kids in our family, um, they missed these very early milestones. And so when our kids are learning to trust, you know, that you have that developmental Erickson stage, Mm -hmm. um, trust versus mistrust from what my understanding, and maybe you could correct me if I'm wrong, is that children start to learn more how to mistrust. And so then they take control of their environment because they don't know if adults can be trusted. And, um, and so then that's when the red brain, you start having these pathways that mm-hmm. um, are not connected um, to an adult caregiver. And so then it's our job as parents and as therapists is to help these kids um, switch back over to a green brain track and help them learn how to. Um, and that process is right. And that process is, an, is not an easy one. And that's where I think parents in the, you know, a while back, you'd hear, well, if you just love them and you love them enough, then that, that's all they need. But I think we really need to, like, our, what I think we'd like to give our parents and therapists today is just really understanding what is developmental trauma and what's the secure development of secure attachment. Um, and so, like you were just saying, it's kind of like that green brain, red brain thing through the conception through the first three years of life. Really, and almost 
especially that first year, you can never, you can't spoil a child under the age of two. Agreed. Um, yeah. Absolutely. So, and what I mean by spoiling them, that is you can't overlove them. You know, that's like, so yeah, you could spoil them in the sense of like putting them in television too much or giving them too much sugar or, and that's not really about um, meeting their needs. So Absolutely. really you can't over meet a child's needs, especially for the first three years of life. And that's where it's really important to kind of look at the cycle and we'll put the slide up so people can see it where the baby just, you know, like you talked about the baby um, experiences discomfort and the mom and the baby protests and cries and then the mom responds really the mom begins to know what those cries are oh my baby's hungry oh my baby's uncomfortable oh, my baby's just fussing or oh, my baby has a wet diaper and the mom picks it up right and the baby and when they pick up a baby she looks into their eyes and she hugs them and she snuggles them and she coos to them and she soothes their comfort and the baby calms down and when the baby calms down that's when trust develops. The baby goes, oh, my world is great. I have this need. I don't have to worry about it. My mom comes and needs met. And yes. oh, their nervous system relaxes and they go in that, to that place of re, um, restorative state of being and they get, then and their brain is able to relax and grow. And then the baby plays and interacts and then it goes, it starts all over again. And we do that as parents probably a million and one times a day. Um, right. And for children with reactive attachment disorder or developmental trauma, they, they don't get to experience that. Their environment is chaotic. They don't have that space of safety and security and trust being developed. Um, right. So I think that's when you get the red brain that you were talking about, right? Um, and I think here's when the development, the, develop, the, um, the development of disruptive attachment happens where the baby experiences discomfort, the baby protests, mom does not respond or she's inconsistent you know, that sometimes can be intermittently the most powerful reinforcement, right, is when the intermittent response happens. Sometimes she comes and sometimes she doesn't. Or the aunt comes or grandpa comes or the babysitter comes, but it's never that consistent one person. So the baby's needs may be getting met, but it's not with that consistency and constancy of like, oh, I know who this is. I know their smell. I know how they're going to respond to me and I can develop a sense of trust and security and safety. So, and that's the attunement, right? To come right, into exactly. harmony with yeah, our caregiver. Exactly. It's a dance. But mm -hmm. I love the whole idea of being, you kind of come into one almost or into harmony. So yet you're separate entities, but you enter yeah. into each other's worlds. Right, exactly. So powerful. And I think that, you know, even as a, um, a, a nursing cons um, lactation consultant, that's important, right? That ability to to attune so that the baby knows when to latch on and when and how, and the baby and the mom gets to respond and her milk can let go, let down. Yes. So that is a level of, um, that's one level of attuning. And then, the, you know, if you're not breastfeeding, that's fine. But there's, it's just, it is level of, I think that's where the natural attunement comes in because you have to develop that attunement for that feeding to take place effectively. Yes. Yeah. But I love that it's so also biological. Yeah. So even our adopted kids, we can mm -hmm. biologically help them rewire their brain. And yeah. that's amazing to me, yeah. just the way that our bodies are made. Yeah. Um, and so our adopted children aren't so different from us when we're rewiring their brains mm -hmm. in a way that helps them trust and that helps their whole limbic system come down into a state of, uh, of being. Right. And relaxation, right? And relaxation, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the piece. It's, and it takes sometimes, it, you know, even biologically or adopted, it takes, it takes time, it takes practice, and it takes um, just having the, 
the secure space to be able to just kind of go, okay, we're going to get through this. We're going to figure out how to attune. Yeah, I want to do it together. We're going I mean, to do it together. I think that's what most people want to hear, even us as adults, right? Like, I'm right. struggling. Like, mm-hmm. someone just come alongside me, you know, and be validated and heard and empowered, um, you know, and just to let them know that we're on your team. Right, right. And, that, and that's important. And I think that's the piece of just understanding the importance of this cycle of, so even if, the, even if you're adopting a child or even if, you, even if your biological child is not an infant, this cycle still continues. This cycle continues Absolutely. through the rest of our lives until we die. This yeah. works well with your spouse. Right? <laughs> you know? Right, exactly. You know, I have a discomfort. I'm like feeling frustrated. Someone comes down and attunes with me and says, hey, sweetie, it's going to be okay. They look look me in my eyes. They tell me that I'm beautiful. They like take a deep breath with me and I able to like, thank you so much. And then I, and then I'm able to move, move beyond that and and talk about or communicate what it was that was bothering me. And then it gets fixed and it's like, I feel so much better. And the attunement and the attachment and the connection takes place and then it goes on. So just wanting to kind of jump back so that when we show them the slide of what is um, the uh, development of disrupted attachment. So just kind of to finish that cycle, we talked about it, but it's like, you know, the baby experiences discomfort, the baby protests and cries, the caregiver, usually, usually traditionally it's still mom, doesn't respond, is inconsistent with response. And so then the baby protests even louder and then mom may respond with anger or is not, or may still not respond. And then, so the baby can do two things, um, can give up or can just become very rageful. But either way, the development of trust doesn't happen. And there's a level of distrust. Like I can't trust anybody. No one's going to be there for me. I don't know when and if and how my needs are going to get met. And the baby begins to self-soothe and take care of themselves and realizes that no one, there's no one there except for me. Um, right. And then this is where I think, Jen, you can talk too about the, the failure to thrive, right? That routine of mm-hmm. when, this, when a child's needs don't get met and they stop protesting, like they cry and cry and cry. And when a baby doesn't cry anymore, then they kind of move into that state of like giving up. And then they have, we have what I call, what, what been labeled, but I, I'll see as a failure to thrive. Um, and I've had a lot of adopted moms who bring their babies in or they said, oh, my baby was so quiet. They were so good. You know, they were such an easy, easy baby. And I was like, hmm, but they were small, you know, they're like six months old, but they only weighed like seven pounds or something like that. It's mm-hmm. just you have that failure to thrive. Um, and that, that takes another level of attunement and tuning into what that child needs, because now we have a lot more needs that haven't been met over a longer period of time. Right. And you even see it manifest in physical symptoms. Right. Yeah. So you have this um, emotional trauma that sometimes happens or neglect or an abuse, um, you know, how, however it happens, whether it's in an orphanage, whether it's in your home, um, you bring these kids home, let's say from an orphanage in our experience or um, in the hospital, and you're seeing, um, you know, the acid reflux. And I'm not saying that if you have acid reflux, right, you exactly. have it does, other it injuries, but you have these physical symptoms, even mm-hmm. in infants that manifest. They right. won't make eye contact with you. 
Um, you know, for our girls, it was really interesting uh, being in Ethiopia. You would think that all of the babies in the orphanage were, were crying. Mm-hmm. And just like you said, that that wasn't necessarily the case. You had a lot of really quiet babies, almost very eerie. Right. Because if right. you've parented before, you know the babies cry. Yeah. Um, you know, and so when you walk into this orphanage, you don't hear a lot of crying. Um, you start to wonder why. Why right. aren't these babies right. crying? Yeah. And so uh, for us, when we're in country, the girls were pretty quiet. And then we got home and we started attaching. And that's when we had a lot. Right. It was like the floodgates had opened. Right, right. And um, right. you were so just that's like. That's kind of a blessing in disguise, although it can be really hard to deal with, right? It's like, oh my God, a child's screaming nonstop now. Yeah. And that's what it was, nonstop. And it went on forever, you know, or it seemed like it did. Yeah. Um, and that's when we, you know, we had seen them heal in some ways, but then in other ways, we had seen some escalation and behavior as they started to get older. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that they're just to kind of, before we end here, it's just wanting to give people a snippet of the attachment cycle and just the impact that, um, um, disrupting that healthy attachment cycle has on these kids, uh, not just in the early stages of life, but throughout their whole life cycle. So depending on, uh, it can show up at any point, especially if it hasn't been, if that reorganization and reframing and rewiring hasn't taken place of really getting them internally through their nervous system and physiological, neurological wiring to feel secure, safe, and, 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 um, and trusting. And that's where a lot of like, you know, doing it fast and snappy right the first time mom and dad's way is really useful because that sets up the structure for, I am in charge. I know what you need to do. And therefore, when you do what I, when I'm asking you to do, you're going to feel safe and secure and you're going to begin to develop a sense of trust that I know what's best for you and everything's mm-hmm. going to be okay, even if you don't like it. Um, right. And that was something that I had to learn because yeah. in the hospital, um, you know, I was working with, with, with kids who were mostly, not all of them, but mostly attached to their caregivers. And mm-hmm. so I was able to offer choices. Right. So that was something that I really had to learn through you when we came into therapy, it was like, yeah, there's a time and place for choices. And of course they were limited. We knew you wanted to take your medicine. Would you like to take it in the red cup or the blue cup? Right. So we're trying to offer a little bit of control Mm -hmm. in an environment that seems very out of control for a healthy child. Um, But when our kids came into our home, they didn't have that sense. Right. And so we had to teach them. We had to go back to very early infant, like toddler, like um, development and say, no, we need to teach you that it's okay to be who you are here, that mom and dad are going to keep you safe, that we're the ones that are going to feed you. Um, we're the ones that are going to comfort you when you're sad right. and so on and so forth. Yeah. yeah. I think you bring up a good point that, you know, when you give a child a choice, either one blue cup or green cup, there is a sense of trusting that both cups are safe. So, and both, and so they, then when they have that sense of safety and trust, then you are able to give them a simple choice of like, you want the blue cup or the green cup. But when they have no sense of trust, it's like, you're kidding me. I got to come up and make a decision like blue or green. And then it's going to freak them out. And it's like, don't overwhelm them. Just say, Hey, we're going to use the green cup today. And when you say that they're going to pretty much worth, if they're worth their weight in gold, say, no, but I want the blue one. It's like, I know. Exactly. Right. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, so I think, um, this is probably a good place to end and just being able to think about recognizing the impact of, uh, um, the attachment cycle and the, the importance of attunement, which is probably our, 
really great next segue into our next topic of like, what does attunement look like when you're dealing with a child who's like, you know, throwing a fit constantly? And you're yeah. like up to here with like, I don't know if I can attune with this child. No, nothing I do seems to be working. Well, and that's when, um, like for us, I had to learn how to gain control over my emotions yeah. because our girls were pulling me into their world of chaos. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's hard as a mom when you're tired, you've got other kids to tend to, and you have these kids that are honing in on your weaknesses. It feels like that. Um, and they're trying to bring you into their chaos. But um, I had to be reminded, you know, that I'm the thermostat of my family and with my husband. Yep. And that in order for me to be able to organize their brain in a healthy way, I had to make sure I was taking control and that I was in charge of my emotions so that they could be in charge of theirs. Right. And so that goes back to just being able to attune to what is a child really needing and not so much what it is that they're wanting and to be able to kind yeah. of go, Oh, you're, you know, you're needing a nap right now. I'm, I'm awesome mom. I can do that for you and do it in a way right. that is um, compassionately and not attached to the outcome. It's like, you know, we can't force a child to do anything, but we can certainly box them in well enough so that they kind of go, Oh, okay. Might as well go ahead and take that nap. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you found this podcast useful. To add more tips to your bag, scheduled teleconferencing sessions, or intensives with me, visit my website, www.fullcirclefamilycounseling.com, where you can schedule session sessions, access other podcasts, and additional support resources. Please be sure to sign up for the newsletter to receive parenting tips access to webinars and exclusive content. Take a moment to subscribe and rate this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitchers, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. If you have any questions that you would like answered, feel free to email us at tracy at gmail.com. As always, much gratitude to the folks at Love & Logic Nancy Thomas, Daniel Hughes, and many others for teaching throughout the years on reactive attachment disorder. Until we connect again, remember that you are not alone. Find the humor in the chaos. Stay consistent in your efforts and continue to reach out. I am here healing your heart-to-heart -heart connection one heart at a time.